Now, the other thing that you talked about was the law gospel thing. And this is another critical thing. It's it's kind of resurrected itself as a result of, and, and by the way, this is in a sense a hyper-Lutheranism. It goes to uh, back to Martin Luther, but Martin Luther didn't say some of the things that some of these later Luther interpreters said. Uh, it's a hyper-grace view. Mm-hmm. And that particular hyper-grace view essentially says that all you have to be concerned with is your identity in Christ. And then everything takes care of itself. And in fact, it is that grace view that, in a sense, strips us of any kind of obligation or intentional, willful obedience. Because as soon as you talk about intentional, willful obedience, you're going back to law, you're not dealing with grace, which is a total misunderstanding of the Old Testament law, total misunderstanding of the way in which the book of Hebrews presents the law. So you'll hear people in this camp talk about, you need to swim in the ocean of God's grace. All right. And that's going to just kind of take care of your sanctification and I believe what this really ends up doing is it ends up giving a license for sin. That was Dr. John Street, adjunct professor at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and the chair of Masters of Arts in Biblical Counseling and professor of Biblical Counseling at the Masters University and Seminary in Los Angeles, California. The Master Seminary is associated with John MacArthur's Church, Grace Community Church, in the same area. Dr. Street is also Fellow and President of the Board of Trustees of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, ACBC. Hello, my name is Marissa Namir, and I am Gospel Gal. Our topic today is law gospel distinction from the perspective of the Reformation. To give just a little bit of background information, Dr. Street here is discussing the beliefs of a person who was formerly engaged actively with Paramount Church in Jacksonville, Florida. This is a misrepresentation of what is taught at Paramount Church, and it is a misrepresentation of Reformation theology. So I will give you some clear, definitive statements from those in the Reformation, aside from Luther, who held to this distinction. This is not hyper-Lutheranism, nor is it hyper-grace theology. But as Luther was brought into the conversation first, I will quote directly from him. Martin Luther writes, Thus the gospel is and should be nothing else than a chronicle, a story, a narrative about Christ, telling who he is, what he did, said, and suffered. There you have it. The gospel is a story about Christ, God and David's son, who died and raised and is established as Lord. This is the gospel in a nutshell. For the preaching of the gospel is nothing else then Christ come to us, or us being brought to him. 
and from Theodore Beza, John Calvin's disciple. The difference between the law and the gospel is that the law by itself can only show us and make us see our evil more exceedingly and aggravate our condemnation, not through any fault of its own, for it is good and holy. But because our corrupt natures burn for sin, the more it is reproved and threatened, as St. Paul has declared through his own example in Romans 7. But the gospel not only shows us the remedy against the curse of the law, but it is at the same time accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit who regenerates us and changes us, as we have said above. For he creates in us the instrument and sole means of applying to us this remedy. Beza also states with such clarity, for with good reason we can say that ignorance of this distinction between law and gospel is one of the principal sources of the abuses which corrupted and still corrupt Christianity. The Puritan Thomas Boston states, in a sinking state of the church, The law and gospel are confounded, and the law jostles out the gospel, the dark shades of morality take place of gospel light. Which plague is this day begun in the church and well far advanced? Men think they see the fitness of legal preaching for sanctification, but how the gospel should be such a mean they cannot understand. And from Zacharias Ursinus, continental reformer and co-writer of the Heidelberg Catechism, the law contains the covenant of nature begun by God with men in creation, that is, a natural sign to men. It requires of us perfect obedience toward God. It promises eternal life to those keeping it. It threatens eternal punishment to those not keeping it. In fact, the gospel contains a covenant of grace, that is, one known not at all under nature. This covenant declares to us fulfillment of its righteousness in Christ, which the law requires, and our restoration through Christ's Spirit. To those who believe in him, it freely promises eternal life for Christ's sake. And Ursinus co-author Caspar Olivianus states this, The gospel, or good news, is a doctrine of which even the wisest knew nothing by nature, but which is revealed from heaven. In it God does not demand, but rather offers and gives us the righteousness that the law requires. This righteousness is the perfect obedience of the suffering and death of Jesus Christ, through which all sin and damnation made manifest by the law is pardoned and washed away. With this clarification from the Reformation theologians being established, and with the clarification that the Reformers saw a distinction between law and gospel, I will now address this accusation that this type of thinking is consistent with free grace theology. Street here states that law-gospel distinction breeds hypergrace theology. He states because it tends towards free grace theology, it will inevitably undermine the use of God's law and further gives a license for sin. However, ironically, the Reformation thinkers all held to three uses of God's law. It exposes sin, drives us to Christ. It evidences what is and is not right in society, judicial laws, 
and it illuminates love or lack thereof for our neighbor as an expression of gratitude to God. This is the third use of the law or the normative for God's people. The writers of the Heidelberg Catechism anticipating this argument that our righteousness coming through Christ alone and our sanctification being driven by the same would create licentiousness, ask three important questions. 62 in the Heidelberg Catechism. But why can our good works not be part of our righteousness before God, or at least part of it? Because the righteousness which can stand before God's judgment must be absolutely perfect and in complete agreement with the law of God, whereas even our best works in this life are all imperfect and defiled by sin. 63. But do our good works earn nothing, even though God promises to reward them in this life and the next? The answer to that is the reward is not earned. It is a gift of grace. And 64. Does this teaching not make people careless and wicked? The answer is no. It is impossible that those grafted into Christ by true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. And these fruits of thankfulness are clearly delineated in the reading and the proclamation of the law. The fact is that righteousness is not earned by the law, as covered in the quotations from these Reformation theologians. Righteousness, which is pleasing to God, comes through Christ alone in the gospel, as also shown in the quotations. We understand in Reformation theology that it is Christ and his gospel that produce sanctification and holiness in the life of the believer. So, in contradiction to Dr. Street's assumptions, the teaching which is received at our church and in Reformation churches all over the world throughout history have a clear understanding, clear definitions, robust theology for gospel, law, sanctification, justification, and all the matters which were of concern to Dr. Street. So I hope that this episode has been beneficial to you and that as always you will move forward in the peace and hope of the gospel and I hope to see you again soon. As always, I bid you gospel blessings.